You are Locked On Hawks, your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, friends. Welcome to episode 1317 of the Lots on Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Rowland, coming to you on a Thursday in late September. And thank you for joining us, as always, on the podcast, making us your first listen each and every day. Check out the podcast across platforms. That includes Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and YouTube on the video side. And I really do appreciate everybody listening to the show. We're diving back into things full force at this point, four or five shows per week. And the season is nearing. In fact, that was sort of marked by the open practice that transpired on Wednesday, September 28th, down at State Farm Arena. The first time the Hawks have been in the arena for a few months now. Obviously, the practice facility is not quite in the same place as the as the arena. And uh, there were fans in attendance, so sort of a game-like atmosphere in some ways. Obviously, not the biggest deal in the world, but the Hawks are sort of in this two-day situation right now where they're practicing in the morning. And this is the one public event in Atlanta because, as people have talked about before, as I've mentioned before, the Hawks do not have a preseason game at home this year. So this is sort of a dry run in a lot of respects. So I was on the scene for that on Wednesday night. We'll have some scenes from that as well as some more trade fallout and some mailback questions later on in the episode. Top line from the open practice it's not that important. Uh, there were no injuries. That's a positive thing that actually happened during the practice, of course. I will also say that like guys are not going 100% full steam. Um, overreactions are plenty. Obviously, anytime a uh, public basketball is played, because it's the only time that anybody, including media, by the way, can really see a quote-unquote quote live practice at this point in time. But a couple guys did not participate, which was sort of the headline at the beginning of the evening. DeJounte Murray, A.J. Griffin, and Trent Forrest were announced just as things were starting that they were not going to be playing. In the open practice on Wednesday night, also uh, Bogdanovich and uh, newly acquired wing Vic Krejci were not playing. Obviously, those were assumed ahead of time. Krejci had just arrived from Oklahoma City, and Bogey's still not participating in, tra- in training camp as he recovers from his surgery. Uh, we'll come back to this a little bit with some video from David Miller talking about why these guys didn't play, but no Murray, no Griffin, and no Forrest in addition to Bogdanovich and Krejci. They did some live five-on-five kind of drill-heavy things early in the scrimmage. No one was going particularly hard. That was especially true of Trey, who was practicing in a hoodie sweatpants, taking it easy, as he should be at this point in time. The highlight of that entire segment was that Kongwu took and made a catch-and-shoot three that Kevin Chouinard, uh, who's sitting next to me, was able to chronicle. That was a funny one. Uh, people were very excited about that. It was uh, still like it was in a drill. It was not that big of a deal, but it definitely looked good, and uh, that's encouraging for Kongwu in the near future. Elsewhere, the teams were split up, uh, not the most fair way, obviously. Uh, generally speaking, practices kind of have first team, second team kind of feels. Um, the Hawks, of course, did not have either of their top two shooting guards with Murray and McDonavich, but the red team of sorts was Trey Young with Aaron Holiday, Hunter, John Collins, Capella, and then a couple of backups, Jared Culver and Chris Silva. And then the other team was they were, they were wearing the black jerseys during the actual run was Tyson Etienne, Tyrese Martin, Justin Holiday, Jalen Johnson, Akongwu, Armani Brooks, Malik Ellison, and Frank Kaminsky. Um, the teams with the team with the actual starters won by 27 points in a 24 minute game. So not a huge surprise. That's the team that actually has the good players on it. Um, but and obviously there are a couple of good players on the black team as well. But not a ton of real analysis from that. Not exactly a full speed scrimmage. They weren't running a ton of like stuff in that scrimmage either. Jarrett Cole had a nice little uh, performance. He actually was attacking the rim pretty effectively. Had a buzzer beater at the end of the first quote-unquote half of the scrimmage. 
Jalen Johnson had the ball in his hands quite a bit with the second team that didn't really have a point guard. Since Aaron Holloway was, was playing with the starters, it was a, a combination of you know Etienne uh, mostly at the at the point of attack, and they they definitely used Jalen on the ball. I have sort of um, posited that that was a potential, a potential option if something were to happen to Trey or Murray during the season, they might have to sort of lean on Jalen Johnson as more of a perimeter creator. Still playing the four, but more of a point forward kind of situation. That was a little bit advertised. I don't want to make too much of that. It was still a practice, but he had the ball in his hands a lot on that second unit. Um, also, I thought Kaminsky looked kind of clunky at this point in time. It was a reminder to me and others that he's not played in almost a year. He missed almost all of last season, so I'm sure he might take some time to get back up to speed. And also, Trey Young played eight minutes, which was the least of any key piece. He was not playing super hard, nor should he, but it's one of those things where, like, uh, Hawks fans got to see enough of him to be satisfied, I'm sure, but he was not, like, flying around in that scrimmage. Elsewhere, I want to play some video for you from the post game, which is probably more interesting, honestly, than anything that happened on the floor. But after practice, they talked a little bit about some stuff. And the first thing that I'll play for you was that Lauren Williams of the AJC asked him what he kind of thought about the open practice overall and how it fits another training camp plan. Well, you know, what we talked about, we want to get some work in today. This was a practice. Uh, we're still in training camp, and uh, we wanted to try to get some work in. Uh, you know, part of that was trying to focus uh, with the distractions of having the fans out there. And, uh, you know, that was a challenge that we threw at our guys today to try to um, not be distracted, uh, focus on what we're trying to do. So we went through a few de defensive drills mm -hmm. um, to kind of warm up before the scrimmage. And I thought our guys were locked in. Uh, it was a good day. Um, it started this morning where we was able to get in. Mm -hmm. Really, it's two, we're still running two-a-day practices. Uh, we had a workout this morning. Mm -hmm. And uh, then this evening was a live play. And um, I thought it was a better game, certainly a better game than it was last year. Nothing terribly shocking there, obviously. But the biggest thing on was the update from Nate on the guys who did not play. And as a reminder from the top of the podcast, the three guys who were unexpectedly not playing were DeJounte Murray, A.J. Griffin, and Trent Forrest. And here is the explanation that Nate gave us. There are several guys that weren't able to participate yeah. in the practice this evening. So is it just that the two-a-days have, you know, become a little much for them? Were they just resting, you know? No, uh, both uh, um, Murray and uh, Trent, uh, those two guys woke up the last two days and had some like flu-like okay. symptoms. So they had to stay away from the team for 24 hours. Yeah. Uh, they came in this morning and uh, went to the doctors to get, you know, checked for COVID testing and all of that. All of that was negative. And uh, the doctors just recommended that they I'll be away from the team for 24 hours. Um, I expect to see those guys in practice tomorrow, and uh, uh, they should be able to go on the trip. What about AJ? He wasn't able to participate either. Yeah, he tweaked, it, tweaked his ankle uh, a couple of days ago, mm -hmm. and uh, he's just resting. He's feeling much better. Okay. Uh, that, w that happened about two days ago. And um, uh, so he hasn't done anything live. Mm -hmm. uh, this morning he did uh, participate in the workouts going through some drills, uh, but he hasn't done anything live. And uh, we're just, you know, I'm hoping that he tomorrow will be able to go. I've already seen Hawks fans kind of panicking about Griffin uh, missing time. Of course, he missed Summer League, and there was some panic about that as well. I am here as the voice of reason to tell you not to worry about this too much. Uh, he has been doing workouts, as Nate said. He was out on the floor in the morning practice. There is no reason at all to push a guy to play at open practice because to satisfy people that want to see him. Um, I understand that he's been a guy who's had some injuries in the past and obviously missed Summer League, so there's a little bit of increase, increased concern. I do will certainly grant that. But I would not worry at this point. We'll see if he's able to get going again. As Nate said at the end of that 
clip. They're planning on him playing today at practice. So we'll see how that all goes on Thursday. But uh, I'm not worried just yet. And as of the non-COVID illnesses, that's just something that's going to happen. So Murray and Forrest, hopefully back today as well. Um, you know, overall, I'll have some video and audio later on from Justin Holiday at the end of the podcast to sort of wrap things up. But I thought it was interesting. Generally speaking, there isn't a home preseason game, of course. And Nate basically said that they had their guys going through their home sort of preparation and routine for game day on Wednesday, talking about getting down to the arena on time, going through things like, like it was the actual game, which is makes some sense. Obviously, he did say that they did a lot more in the practice in the morning than they would do in a traditional shoot-around because they'd have to play a game that night. They wanted to simulate the game atmosphere, which is at least uh, notable in some ways. And also the, the game ops down at the arena, people that sort of do all the videos and the presentations and stuff, they were going like it was a, like, like it was a game as well because they don't have another way to test all that stuff. So that made a lot of sense to me. No basketball to be played, at least in terms of the Hawks, until October 19th. It's still three weeks away from the actual opener. So this is kind of their one and only dry run, and they definitely treated it that way. So there you go on all of that. Okay, before we get to the rest of the podcast, and uh, that's the end of Open Practice Talk for now, a word from our sponsors on the show. Today's show is brought to you by Bet Online. Football is, of course, here and dominating the conversation in a lot of ways, and Bet Online is the number one source for all the pro and college football needs that you might have. This season, as well as the information that you're craving right now, find all the latest developments across football that includes game matchups and news and podcasts at Bet Online, including all of the content that you need for the weekend slate in pro and college football. Bet Online is also the continuing source for wagering information that includes live betting and esports and live scores. Bet Online is the fastest and easiest way to consume every sport you might be interested in at this point in time. The NBA is our main focus on this podcast, talking about that all the time, your team every day. And there are plenty of futures out there between the season win totals and the conference odds and the division odds, title odds, individual award odds, and more at BetOnline. And beyond the NBA, BetOnline has odds and lines on college sports and baseball and boxing and MMA and tennis and golf and auto racing, horse racing, soccer, entertainment bets, and much more. Head to BetOnline right now on your mobile device or your computer to learn more about all of the trends and the action in the sports world. BetOnline, where the game starts. All right, and if you missed it from earlier this week, uh, uh, sorry, on Tuesday evening, I did an emergency podcast reaction to the Hawks making a trade. That show is still in your feed right now, which is most of the details that I'll be sharing in my analysis, et cetera. But some follow-ups to that in the last couple of days. Nate McMillan was asked about Vic Krejci at practice earlier this week and immediately kind of pivoted to have him be in the development pipeline. Obviously, more of a developmental piece at this point in time. Not much said about his present-day abilities to contribute. That's sort of a one-off question, but didn't necessarily indicate to me that he is firmly in the plans to be playing right now, which is the right move in my mind. He did talk about him being a big guard with some talent. It was not all negative by any means. And that at the open practice on Wednesday, he did say that he's a, quote, good-looking player, end quote. But clearly, they have not seen him up close just yet, so we'll see how he looks in training camp. At this point, I'm expecting him to be around and to make the team. He's on that he's on that contract, and I think they kind of almost had to have uh, affirmatively liked Vic Krejci at some point, other than because otherwise they paid a pretty hefty price just to get off Moharkless's contract. So as a transition point... The details are now out there on the pick structure from the Hawks. When I recorded that emergency podcast, we did, we did not yet know what the second round pick compensation was going to be going from Atlanta to Oklahoma City. The main pick is the Hawks are setting the 2029 second round pick that they have to the Thunder. That's as far out as they can go right now. It's seven years is the cutoff. That's the first way they can go. It's unprotected, so we'll see. It's a long time from now, obviously. But the Hawks are also giving up a little bit more than that, potentially, because there is an additional draft consideration in 2025 that is benefiting the, the Thunder and not the Hawks. So entering the day, the Hawks actually owned OKC's pick and OKC 
actually owned Atlanta's pick. So there's a little bit of confusion about this. Um, the press release was kind of oddly worded from the Thunder who announced this. The Hawks never actually announce pick details in their in their uh, trade releases, but the Thunder actually did. Anyway, there was some confusion about that. I was told by someone reliable, though, that the pick that was already going from the Hawks to the Thunder is the one that is affected. And that pick is from the Gallo trade, by the way. Originally, when the Hawks acquired Gallo from Oklahoma City in that sign-in trade. Anyway, that was a pick that was top 55 protected to basically the most fake pick imaginable. Um, and now it's top 40 protected. So basically what that means is if the Hawks are not one of the 10 worst teams in the league in 2025, which obviously you're hoping for not to, not to be the case, um, they will send their own second round pick to the Thunder. Of course, the Hawks do own the Thunder's second round pick, so that's more of a swap at that point. But it's a small consolation, but obviously it's a concession by the Hawks in the trade. So basically the Hawks gave up like 1.2 second round picks. The, the 2021 pick is a real pick, but it's obviously a long time from now. The other one is like making their pick uh, a little bit, uh, I guess, better that could trade to the Thunder at, this, at that point in time. So it's two consolations by the Hawks in the trade. So basically they give up a little bit more than a second round pick to get off Mo Harkless and get Bit Krejci. So again, in my mind, that means um, I'm not trying to make too much of this. It was mostly a financial move in my understanding to get under the tax. But at the same time, there was no reason to do this deal if they didn't actually like Bit Krejci. They, they probably could have gotten off of Mo Harkless's small contract for less compensation than they actually spent in this deal. So there you go. That's the latest on that. One more note, by the way, that I did not make on the emergency podcast when discussing the luxury tax for the Hawks was the incentives that the Hawks have on their books from Click Capella and DeJounte Murray. I did a full podcast about this during the summer when it was sort of that dead period, but talking about the Hawks not being completely safe from the tax, I should say this is part of the reason why a big part of this is that if Capella and Murray were to hit their incentives or even be tracking towards hitting those incentives, the Hawks might look to shed some more salary to make sure they actually stay under the tax. The biggest one is one they can't project a ton, and that's Capella has a $1 million bonus for the Hawks making the conference finals and him playing 2,000 minutes. Now, 2,000 minutes is very attainable for Capella if he is not hurt. Um, I think he's going to average enough to pretty comfortably get there. If he is healthy, we'll see. But conference finals, you can't really project necessarily until later on. The rest of them are a half a million dollars each. There are two for Capella and two for Murray at that point. Capella's is defensive rebound rate-based, plus minutes. He also has, has, has one for shooting 65% from the line, which he's never done in his career. Murray has a 58% true shooting one where he's never actually come close to that. Murray has another one for 125 threes and, uh, in, in, in a season as, that's above his career high. And the last one, by the way, is also a half million dollars. It's more of a um, similar to the conference finals one. Murray has one for making the all defensive team for a half million. So essentially there is uh, what, let's say three and a half million. Yeah. Three and a half million dollars in potential bonuses. It is very, very unlikely that all five would hit. Um, in fact, I would project all of them as less likely to hit than more likely to hit at this point in time, you know, Capella conference finals uh, you know, that's plausible, but not likely I would say at this point in time, plus the minutes, um, defensive rebound one is probably the most likely one of all for Capella, but the free throw line one, I'm not going to buy. Murray's true shooting is very, uh, very high for terms of what his bar actually has been three, same thing. And then all the, all defense for Murray is definitely attainable, but not something that I would project at this point. So the Hawks still might choose to operate with only 14 players in part because it would actually help to have that cushion below the tax. They have about a $1.3 million below the tax right now. And if, one of those guys hits a couple of these. Um, that might be part of the reason why they might want to stay under the under that um, apron. So 
at any rate, that's the latest on the uh, tax stuff and sort of the follow-up from the trade. Still more of a financially motivated transaction in my mind of what I've been hearing through the grapevine, but obviously they do. Uh, they probably like Vic Krejci on some level, and we'll hopefully see him as they make the trip across the uh, across the sea to Abu Dhabi. By the, by the way, the Hawks are leaving on Friday, so they're going to be gone for about 10 days. Won't see them up close and personal again until they get back, and uh, we'll sort of circle back when that actually transpires. All right, now we'll dive into some mailbag questions. Um, one comes from Ralph, who says, let's say for whatever reason, the Jalen Johnson is, was unavailable and the Hawks did not make any roster moves. How would they fill the backup four minutes behind Collins in a must-win game? So there's some options here. I touched on a little, a little bit of that on the emergency podcast reaction, but it's worth saying and being clear about. The Hawks, at this very moment, have only two players that I would describe as natural power forwards on their roster, and that is John Collins and Jalen Johnson. Now, they have other guys that can play there. We'll come back to that in a second. So um, the question was about a must-win game, and I'll just kind of cheat maybe to say that Collins probably plays 40 minutes in a must-win game. That makes it a little bit easier, but I won't cheat too much here. In a more genuine way, I'll kind of just run on the options a little bit. Of the guys on full contracts right now, the only guys who could probably play a little bit at the four would be DeAndre Hunter, of course. is a pretty logical option, but he's also the starting three. Uh, Frank Kaminsky can play a little bit of four. He's definitely more of a five. Uh, and that's sort of the case for Akongwu, who's more of a five, can play a little bit of four as well. Those guys maybe paired together would make some sense. And then maybe you go Justin Holiday because he is at least experienced, but he is very small if you're trying to play him at the four. Maybe you could play guys like AJ Griffin or Jarrett Culver there just from a physical standpoint, but it's a lot of a lot to ask from those guys to play a different role entirely and play the four. So basically, um, we'll come back to this, but they're not, they're not great options if Jalen Johnson or John Collins were to be out. Um, I think if they had Collins and not Jalen, the most likely option in a must win would be to have Hunter play those minutes behind, behind Collins at the four and kind of use some combination of more holiday and more Bogdanovich and more Murray, et cetera, on the perimeter. Um, I do think that, you know, maybe the rest of that would be a combination of like that, a, that a Kongwu Kaminsky front court potentially, or that super small look with Justin holiday at the four. But if they're going small, it's probably Hunter at the four anyway. So I would say the most likely candidate in a short scenario to play a lot of four minutes would be Hunter, but we'll see. Um, hopefully not see actually if you want to say uh, both uh, both Collins and Jalen stay healthy the Hawks do have a, a guy on the camp roster and Chris Silva that is a natural four but as discussed earlier they might want not they probably don't want to use that spot and Silva is on a non-guaranteed camp contract so I'm not banking on him banking on him being around I do think it's pretty important now especially for Johnson and I want to say this very especially for John Collins to stay healthy because if Collins is not healthy it's going to be uh, a long one. And I, I like Jalen Johnson, but to have that be your only option at the four right now, and he's kind of unproven, would be tough. So Jay, uh, John, John Collins is already an important player. He's very important now in the absence of Gallo. Um, the crazier version, by the way, of this question is what would have happened if Collins got hurt for any length of time, because Johnson is a lot less proven when it comes to playing like stars minutes. And they have to piece that together a lot. Probably have 100 play, maybe starting at the four at that point and leave heavily on Bogey and Justin Holiday. But for now, uh, the uncertainty there is definitely the headliner. All right. And one more question comes from Paul who says, it seems like Trey Young has had issues with big switchy defenses from Toronto, Boston, and Miami. Obviously do the numbers bear this out? And am I correct in assuming our team ceiling will hinge on how effectively he can attack switching defenses? We all know he can destroy more traditional pick and roll coverages, but in a deep playoff run, we're likely to face more versatile defenses. If he can't be effective in these scenarios, we really have no chance of a title. So, Good question here from Paul. 
without going crazy deep into the numbers in this space, the assumption here is correct. Trey has been worse against these swishy defenses that are really good, like your Toronto's and your Boston's and your Miami's. Now, I will say Trey was obviously terrible by his standards in the playoff series against Miami. It's a small sample size. He was quite bad, but you don't want to like just throw that out, but it, it doesn't matter. The numbers in the regular season as well were notably worse against Miami and Boston. Now, part of those teams is the teams are just good, so you're going to have worse numbers in some respects. But the, he actually did play well, Trey did, against Toronto last year. But Toronto's a little bit different. They are pretty small in the way they are. I mean, they're obviously big on the wings, but they're kind of small up front. They don't really play a traditional center. It's probably a little bit easier to attack the rim against the, against the Raptors. But anyway, traditionally, Trey definitely has been better against those drop coverage teams and teams playing up to the level. Um, of screens and he's not been as good against the really good and adept switching schemes now that also tracks to his potential size limitations dating back to his prospect status and that was been a concern about trey for a long time now he's been pretty good against those schemes i want to be clear about that trey's not like struggled a ton against switching but he's not quite been as good with and i for me I don't believe that the playoff series against Miami is like an indictment of Trey. Like he was bad in that series, no question. But I don't think that that's like a slamming of the door. We've seen him be much better than that in high profile spots against good team switching. So I'm not really worried too much about that. It is fair to say in the previous playoff run that he faced a pretty friendly slate of defenses for his skill set in the Knicks playing drop, Philadelphia playing drop with Embiid, and even Milwaukee is more of a traditional defensive team. Now, those were good defensive teams, but they were all playing drop, and that definitely helps Trey. So part of the emphasis is on finding a player like Murray is to take some of that heat off of Trey. That's part of the – they've said that a number of times. Landry Field said that, et cetera. And he also has to be better at moving off the ball, being a little bit more intentional with or without Murray to come back and get the ball in better ways and not get flustered by the size and the switching schemes when he can't just lean on him being an absolute wizard against pick and roll because he, he obviously is that. And I think they should have run more pick and roll even against the switch in that series, and they didn't really do a ton of that because they kind of got stagnant. And the question is a good one in that I totally agree the Hawks would have a hard time actually winning the title if he can't beat switching schemes at a better level than he has so far. But I don't view that as a crippling limitation by any means. I'm intrigued to see how the Hawks kind of approach those scenarios at this point, because Murray being on the team definitely helps things. And because how bad it was against Miami, I presume they will have been trying to dig into the lab and learn from that loss. Um, I should also note that some of this is on Nate McMillan and the staff to make things easier on Trey. I thought that Nate struggled pretty mightily to get some creative options going in that series. And Nate's playoff record is not the best um, other than the interim run with the Hawks. He's had some real, real stinkers against like good coaches on the other side in the playoffs. Um, so it's not a, it's not only a Trey issue. I'm mean, going to be very clear about that. Um, the, the staff is going to need to be um, creative and sort of getting him off the ball a little bit more. I think with Murray on board, it will help. But uh, it's not only Trey. And the Heat, by the way, were also incredibly good defensively. That's worth pointing out as well. And they were being allowed to play with a lot of physicality in that series. I don't want to litigate the refereeing by any means. I'm not. This is not that kind of podcast. But they were definitely allowed to do a lot of things physically to kind of rough Trey up and uh, in a way that would not be able to sort of, you know, able to do that during regular season as well as just say so overall it's a concern but it's not a huge one for me i think that winning the title when you're talking about that rarefied air everything is a concern everything is uh sort of heightened and it is a lot harder to win the title in a lot of different ways than to make a playoff run that's kind of deeper so yeah i think that that's going to be an area they're gonna have to fix but it's, it's not broken by any means and trey is really really good and i don't really worry about that the playoff series last year i'm sure bothered him a lot as well he's the kind of guy that's probably been in the lab for the last three months working on stuff to beat that kind of defense. So I'm not worried about his motivation and he's definitely someone who's going to fix that. I'm not concerned about that really at all. Okay. That'll be it for the, for today's podcast on my side. 
I will just say uh, one more time to please subscribe to the podcast across platforms. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, YouTube, etc. You can subscribe via multiple platforms, download multiple times. That's very helpful as well. Like and rate and review and all that fun stuff across platforms as well. Follow the show on Twitter at Lots of Hawks. Follow me on Twitter at BT Roland. At the end of the podcast, after I stop talking, about three minutes or so of Justin Holiday talking to the media. I think Justin's always a really interesting sort of listen. So that's uh, just tacked on the end of the show here. So keep an eye on that if you'd like to at the end of the podcast. But we'll be back again one more time this week. And then uh, full steam ahead as the Hawks are playing games. Yes, games. They don't count yet, but there's still games. There'll be referees and all next week. So stay tuned for all that stuff. And uh, thank you for listening to the podcast. We'll see you all next time. Yeah, I feel the energy from the fans uh, always kind of shows you the difference between practice and the, and the real game. Uh, obviously, it wasn't a real game, but to get that taste and get that feel, uh, you know, it reminds you that it's about to be for real yeah, about to start. For sure. It seemed like they put you with some of the younger guys. Uh, was that like to kind of uh, – get that leadership out there and, and work with them? Uh, it's always fun. Uh, I remember when I was, you know, one of the younger guys on the team and uh, it, it was good to have them experience the difference between uh, practice and the game. Even though it wasn't a real game, uh, we experienced our unit, experienced what it was like to play against people that have played this game before. Um, so it kind of shows the difference of having talent and having experience on the NBA floor. So it was dope to be able to do that with them. and. It's going to be awesome because now well, that's like day one of them experiencing it, uh, to be able to see them grow where they, where they go from here. Speaking of kind of the difference between practicing games, you touched on the fans a little bit. Mm-hmm. Just how just exciting was it to be back here? It was very exciting. It was a lot more people than I expected to be <laughs> out there. Uh, like I said, you can feel the energy. And when you go a whole summer of not playing in front of people, sometimes you kind of forget what that feels like. So it was really, really cool and really fun to to feel them uh, and to kind of get prepared to be able to play and focus though, uh, having that, that type of energy excitement. So it was it was really good to play in, some, in front of the fans. And again, it wasn't even filled up, but to be that loud, mm-hmm. it gets me excited for the year for sure. Loud 7,000. Yeah, for real, really loud. Was the intensity like compared to the practices that you've seen before? Be honest with you, the intensity in practice is actually very, very high. So the intensity was similar, but again, I think the first unit's experience is what you know took took it over. If that makes sense, uh, you know, second unit wanted to do everything right, to do everything well. But it's a different type of game, a different type of speed, and to kind of see where you fit into the, the, certain spots. Uh, it's kind of what the first team already had figured out, you know. So they're able to come out and kind of smack us in the mouth. And uh, but you know, it was cool though. It's, it's not you know, the worst thing or in the world to be in that position because it shows you where you need to grow and how you need to grow. So um, I think it's going to be a good experience for our whole team to be able to see what that's like, um, as well as, you know, individual, you know, younger players and even myself uh, being on that side. You've mentioned the younger players a few times. Have you uh, taken any of the younger guys under your wing throughout training camp? Uh, I mean, I speak to everyone. I don't know. I guess you have to ask them if they feel that way. Um, I'm just a person that tries to help where I can. Um, I do speak to them at times, kind of give them pointers. Uh, kind of let them know what they expect because this is a different world than anything else you've experienced until this point. Um, As far as what's expected of you, um, what's going to happen from day to day, things can change quickly. And uh, really the biggest thing I want them to understand is how you prepare yourself matters. Uh, Being consistent um, and then from that being a good teammate. Uh, understand that you know things are not gonna you're not gonna you're not gonna be the man you know because I was there 
And so I try to explain to them what it's like to not be the top player, not be this, but to understand you can still help a team. And you can be uh, you know, a guy that's going to be in there a lot. You can be a guy that's trusted. And you want to put yourself in the best position you can to be on the floor. And then when you get your time, you'll be ready.